What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 241 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is a special time. It's Tuesday afternoon. I am not on my computer as normal, but hopefully that will be all right. And uh, I'm doing all of this because anytime you can have this person on the podcast, it is worth jumping through all the hoops. And that person is Zach Diller. Hello, sir. I appreciate the hoop jumping. 241. That's a, that's a lot of episodes. I think I've been a part of a few of those, but... Um, no, it's good to be back, um, and obviously a lot to talk about with today's news. Absolutely. Let's just start with the news from Tuesday morning, and uh, much of it was centered on the rotation, which has, of course, been a talking point for quite some time, but even more so at this very moment. Max Freed is headed to the injured list with what was described as a left-side muscle spasm in his lumbar spine. That's the full description that was announced. Uh, his velocity was, of course, down in his last start, and honestly, like a start and a half, a little bit of that. Um, I will say Anthopolis did come out and say that they are, quote, extremely confident it will be a short-lived stint. That's a, that's a direct quote from Anthopolis on the IL, so that's, that's encouraging. Could see free back as soon as the 16th against Baltimore. It was post-dated, et cetera. But before we go any further, obviously the Braves have basically had one starting pitcher for quite some time now, and that pitcher is unavailable, which is obviously not good news. No, it's terrible news, and it underscores the fact that um, it's still somewhat of a feat that they're in first place. I mean, you have between Ozzie Albies, Ronald Acuna Jr., Mike Soroka, and Max Freed, uh, you know, a combined 50-plus games, I believe, that they've missed this season. And now you have a guy that's in the middle of a breakout season, uh, in the middle of a Cy Young campaign, uh, even sidelined for a week with how this rotation has been shaping up. Max Freed has been the one guy every five days that you feel good about. They just lost their first game with him on the mound um, for the entire season, his last time out. And he didn't even look that bad to me. I mean, that's kind of how good Max Freed has been. I know people are saying the velocity was down, and clearly that is the case. And there was, you know, an injury, even though he said he wasn't. But at the same time, the Nationals dinked and dunked their way past him for three runs the other day. I think they averaged like 73 miles per hour off the bat uh, during that start. I mean, they didn't touch him at all, which is just how good Max Freed has been uh, over the course of this season. Even when his fastball velocity is down, uh, all of his secondary pitches, the slider, the curveball, everything has been working for him. So now you have to manage a rotation that was already without Mike Soroka that already has gone through so much turmoil in terms of Mike Fulton-Evitt, Sean Newcomb, Cole Hamels, Felix Hernandez opting out. And now you have to piece this together. And, you know, we're going to see Kyle Wright. As we record this, Kyle Wright is pitching tonight. But I think this, once again, uh, puts them in a really precarious situation. And I think where I've been the entire season, and you can kind of hold me to this, um, is I, I think they're in a situation now where I think it would have been nice for them to trust and kind of deal with the ups and downs from some of the young pitchers, because now you're in a situation where you almost are needing Robbie Erlin, Tommy Malone, Josh Tomlin, you know, maybe Josh, uh, Cole Hamels comes back, but um, I hope, I hope we see a good Kyle Wright tonight because they could use some of those young starters uh, now more than ever. Yeah, you and I have been on, in several sort of sort of similar mindset about all the young guys and sort of the handling and not giving them enough rope, etc. It was encouraging to hear that they were going to give right the start on Tuesday. That happened before the Freed news. They announced that 
Um, that's a good thing uh, that he is going to be back in there. Uh, you know, Kyle Wright has been not very good. No one would say that he's been good, but there's obviously some upside um, with Wright and some of the younger pitchers that some of the older guys, the more of the spot starter, uh, long reliever types just don't have. So, yeah, it w- it'd be nice to have more uh, more track record with those young guys and more of a long leash at this point in time because, like you said, they do pretty much need them at this point, at least one or two of them to step up and be playable. Um, you mentioned Cole Hamels. That was the other update that happened on Tuesday morning was that uh, Hamels is apparently on track to be back pretty soon. There's another bullpen scheduled on Thursday. There was some talk about him pitching in the regular season as soon as next week against Baltimore. Granted, that would be a shorter um, approach. Like he could maybe throw two or three innings. He's not stretched out all the way yet. Um, but when you're in a position where they really kind of need Hamels too. I mean, you have Ian Anderson who pitched pretty well in the first two starts, was not as good on Monday. You're hoping and praying that he's going to be good because if he's not, it gets even uglier and Hamels would help you. But you, there's just so much we don't know about what Hamels is going to look like. No one's really seen him. And if he's not stretched out all the way, there's just a lot of uh, uncertainty. We all kind of know that, but it's it's really, really stark when you take away the one guy you were counting on. And I think Freed will be fine, frankly. Like you said, he still pitched pretty well despite not being himself all the way. Um, provided he's there, you're, you're at least you're okay for that. But when you get into a playoff series, and at this point in time with the, with the playoff odds where they are, that's the whole focus really is the playoffs for the Braves. And they have to figure out what they're going to do in games two, three, and beyond of any series. And in that first series, it's a, it's a three-gamer. So you only have Freed once and maybe maybe another time out of the bullpen uh, in game three if you had to get really desperate. But you have to build out two more games of planning. And that's the entire focus right now, at least for me. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to... Here is where I put on my I'm not a pitching evaluator cap because we did get to see Cole Hamels in live BP against Ozzy the other day. Um, I saw some good pitches, but again, I don't know exactly what Anthopolis, the front office, Rick, Rick Kranitz are looking for. But I was on the conference call today and Anthopolis was saying, uh, basically to your point, they he doesn't need to necessarily build up his innings before making his first appearance in a Braves uniform. They might throw him out there and build him up on the fly, which sounds, uh, you know, it, it sounds precarious. Certainly, um, you, you I, don't, I mean the, you know, the counter. The, listen, the counter would be that uh, two or three times a week they're throwing someone that probably can't throw more than three or four innings anyway. So it's <laughs> what's the difference? Uh, that would be the optimistic counter, I suppose. No, I mean, absolutely, and you know, I, I've we've talked about this offline before. I know in previous podcasts that I've listened to. Y'all have discussed this as well. This is the, also the point where not only the young starters would I have liked to have seen them get more leash this season and uh, at, at the very least the same amount of leash that they've given a guy like Robbie Erlin, but now it you get to the point where creativity comes into play here, where the, whether it's piggybacking starters, whether it's paying far more attention to how many guys, how many times a guy is allowed to flip the lineup. Um, these are the things that we haven't really seen so far this season. It's kind of been see how long we can uh, get Max Freed to be great, which is almost the entire season so far. And then every other time, it seems like let's see just how many innings we can squeeze out of a guy before the wheels fall off. And it's happened with both, you know, veteran pitchers as well as younger pitchers. And I think that without Freed, in this situation, I mean, you're looking at a rotation right now with for a first place team, just two games up in the division. Um, and I mean, Tommy Malone, Robbie Erlin, Josh Tomlin and Ian Anderson, who I thought <laughs> even looks good on on uh, on Monday. But um, he has three career starts under his belt. Um, th- this is the kind of situation they're in. They 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 keep throwing the names out there like Mike Fultnevich, Sean Newcomb. Alex Anthopoulos today said that a guy like Tucker Davidson is behind guys like Bryce Wilson, which is kind of surprising yep. considering what we've seen from Bryce so far this season. Um, certainly they, you know, brought up and uh, I don't know what they were trying to do with Patrick Weigel. Um, it, it doesn't seem like they are going to trust any of these young arms that are still down there. So the names you've seen, the names you've heard are the names they're going to rely on. Um, I just think they have to get creative if that's if that's uh, what they have moving with uh, going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And aiming for upside, you know, I floated this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, but I think um, if you made me choose something right then and there to do for a game three, and that, that of course, assumes that Ian Anderson was game two, which is a bold assumption. 
Um, I would have probably gone with like a Josh Tomlin, Kyle Wright piggyback, which is not yeah. exciting at all. Um, Tomlin, I like Tomlin. He's been okay overall, but he still has a ERA over five uh, in his four starts. He was better in the long relief role. He's not great. Um, but yeah, just the kind of creativity that we've not seen so far. Um, before we move off of this, I, I do have to ask you, do you have any hope held out in your heart for guys like Fulte and Newcomb? Because there was a little bit of Fulte buzz in the recent past, and of course he's the one guy that has actually proven it on the major league level. Granted, he was not himself the last time we saw him in the major leagues, but considering he's still around and there was some buzz about him throwing harder, is that a name that you have your eye on or that you're maybe uh, crossing your fingers on? Obviously, you can't plan on Fulte at this moment in time, but you know, considering just upside-wise, he obviously has higher upside than a lot of the other options. Yeah, without seeing him, um, the reports are he's gained, what, 10, 15 pounds of weight. The velocity is getting back up, maybe not up to faulty standards. But from what we have heard, now whether it's, you know, kind of look over look over my right hand and not in my left, um, it, if that's the case, if faulty is close to being anywhere, you know, stuff, everything else that he was at the end of last season, um, sure, I mean, Mike Fultonevich at 90% probably gives you more than Robbie Erlin gives you. Um, I, I know that game five in LDS is on everybody's mind, but Fulte's first outing in the NLDS last year was one of the, you know, better stat lines in postseason history in, Bra- in a Braves uniform. Um, maybe not quite on the stage of a NLCS or a World Series, obviously, but I think you pitched, what, seven scoreless in, in game two? That sounds right. Uh, I mean, we haven't seen those stat lines, and if Fulte's anywhere close to that, um, then yeah, I mean, I think he clearly has better stuff than Robbie Erlin. Um, and I hate to pick on him, but it seems like you know I keep going, <laughs> I keep going back to this, but like Tukey, Kyle Wright, uh, Robbie Erlin's gotten more of a leash and a longer runway for a few innings in Miami against a very different Marlins lineup than even today. Um, I think he pitched what four or five scoreless in Miami. And they just keep running him out there. Since that Miami start, he has a 7-plus ERA. The FIP's way up there. He's not missing bats. Um, so, yeah, if you're asking me, could Sean Newcomb or Mike fulton uh, you know, provide any sort of optimism that you can get better than a 7-plus ERA? Yeah, I hope so. Um, but, again, does that get you any, any closer to uh, winning your first playoff series since 2001? I, I can't really answer that. Clearly, they need a healthy freed in the postseason, or uh, this rotation's already in trouble. Yeah. Um, but even with Freed, um, you're right. I mean, I think I would probably trust. Uh, I think if I think if Hamels is up and running, and they feel any anywhere comfortable with him by the end of the season, even going four or five, I think they'd probably go Hamels in game two, and Anderson would be the the third guy. Just knowing how they play these things. I mean, keep in mind Dallas Keuchel got a start over Mike Soroka in the postseason last year. So yes, they're, they're, yes he did, Zach. Yes, he did. That <laughs> so happened. They, are, they, have, they have shown their hand there in terms of trusting veterans, at least um, in the recent past. So if Cole Hamels is up and running, I would assume that's your three in that first series. Um, and again, you have a guy with very little experience at Anderson and two guys now that um, we don't know exactly where their health is going to be, even though – Everything we heard from Alex today seemed optimistic that Freed will be fine. For sure. And, you know, if we assume Hamels has pitched a time or two and looks kind of like himself, I'd be okay with that. Uh, he has a track record, obviously, that no one else can match um, of the available options. And uh, if you have Anderson with someone behind him, whether it be Tomlin or Wright or somebody else, to, if something goes wrong, then that's probably the approach. But, yeah, there's lots of uncertainty. By the way, uh, to your Erlen point, not to belabor it, um, the beat writers seem to think that Erlen's going to be the guy on Thursday uh, again after in freed spot. Um, not announced, but seems to be there's some buzz about that. So we might see Robbie Erlen once again making a start on Thursday. Uh, yeah, I'll leave that there for now. But I think we've conveyed the point overall. A lot of uncertainty. Hopefully Freed's back and looking like himself in you know week to 10 days. But uh, for now, that's what we're left with. Uh, okay, a quick break, and we'll come right back and talk more about the state of the Braves with Zach Dillard's on tight. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Property Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. 
Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, Zach, uh, the other, quickly, the other big news, if you want to call it that, from Tuesday morning was Charlie Culberson being DFA'd. Um, the pretext of that being he has not played much at all this year, and Ozzy Albies is apparently quite close to returning. I know you said you saw him play a little bit in a uh, live VP against Hamels. It did not surprise me at all that they elected to go all, uh, part ways with Culberson because, again, he had seven plate appearances this season. Seven. Um, and he was the very, very obvious casualty on a guy, a guy not making much money. I know he's beloved in that clubhouse, but um, if you look at the roster, this is kind of the only move you can make. I guess Camargo could have been optioned, but I still think, even with my Camargo skepticism, that he is a better player than Culberson. So I have no issue with this. Did you have a reaction to Charlie Culberson not being on the team anymore? Not necessarily, and that's not against Charlie at all. It's more no. of, look, I mean, if you have to make a roster spot available – and he's not getting played, um, and maybe some playing time. That's a whole another discussion. Uh, but it's clear with the DH now, like that, uh, guys like this around the NL. If the if the DH is going to be a thing for for here on out, uh, utility players are going to find a tougher time getting in the lineup if they don't really bring. Um, a lot of offensive upside. Especially um, if you have multiple of them, and the Braves have multiple of these yeah. guys. Like, there's just nowhere to, I mean, with all respect to Culberson, there's nowhere to put him. I mean, and that's, it kind of tells the story that everyone knows this organization loves Charlie Culberson, and they just couldn't get him, they couldn't get him on the field. And that kind of just tells the whole story, honestly. Yeah, I, I mean, and look, it's the same thing of if the, you know, the new innings rule, or the, you know, have to face a minimum of three batters unless you end the inning. Like, there was a lot of consternation of what does that do to, you know, loogies and specialists. Like, the same thing is going to happen if there's a DH and utility role players that, especially in the NL, where, you know, you know guys like that played a big role. And, I mean, I think there's a way to give a nod to Charlie Culberson. And Anthopoulos did it today, said he's, you know, been, you know, pretty upfront with Charlie throughout. Like, it was close with the Matt Adams decision, uh, who was going to be the casualty on the roster of that one. And from all I've ever heard from Anthopolis and the players, Alex doesn't keep guys in the dark. So while this probably sucks for fans and he's been a big favorite, I know a lot of the guys, obviously, he's a big clubhouse favorite. Um, I, I, it's, I don't think this blindsided Charlie uh, when you look at how Alex handles these things, how he's been played, how he's been used. Um, but obviously, the Braves lose uh, a high leverage reliever. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, that's a good transition point, Zach, because I wanted to ask about the bullpen briefly. I will say this. We did a ton on the bullpen usage stuff on our last podcast with Scott and I, and I, I don't want to do the whole thing again, but the next day there was some consternation about Chad Sabaka's usage, which I echoed. It was not great. Um, and there was this discussion that I want to bring up to you now about, um, you know, there was the word overuse was thrown around. There was some stuff about um, – just the innings and the workloads of relievers. And the Braves have pitched a lot out of the bullpen. Uh, They're fifth in the majors in innings pitched in terms of relief, relief pitching this year, which is a high number. Part of that is, of course, the rotation being uh, as banged up as it is. They've also been really good, top five in war, top five in ERA among bullpens across Major League Baseball. But 
to tee it up, the, the only guy among the core bullpen pieces that has really thrown a lot of innings is Shane Green, who's been incredible. He's the only one of those guys in the top 100 among relievers in innings pitched this year. There are other guys who have pitched a lot. Grant Dayton, Tyler Matzik, Luke Jackson, uh, even A.J. Minter has pitched more than the average reliever. But the guys who are at least came in the season as the primary guys, your Mark Melanson's, your Will Smith's, um, you know, your Chris Martin's, those guys have been pretty much uh, not used a ton. And that was kind of the interesting point of discussion because it kind of depends on which numbers you're looking at. But I don't worry about the usage really at all. This is not a season in which I am uh, really scared about these relievers being overused because there are so many of them. But maybe I'm wrong and maybe you disagree with me. But I thought that was kind of an interesting discussion that I didn't really see the issue with the uh, the workload so far. I mean, if if we were seeing... You know, work and everybody's mind always goes back to, you know, the old Kimbrel O'Flaherty Ventures days yep. when it was, you know, uh, every Ovip- every day, baby, every day. Ovipril coming in with the the lead, and yeah, I mean that is overuse uh, clearly, and, and and I don't think we're looking at that here, and I think the side effect of the Braves spending, not even a side effect, but the benefit of the Braves spending so much time, effort, money focus this offseason on improving this bullpen is that it is a deeper group. And not only is it a deeper group with high leverage relievers, especially with AJ Minter uh, breaking back out. Yep. And we're seeing the AJ Minter that we saw a couple years ago, looks like one of the best left-handed relievers in baseball right now. Not only that, but you have so many uh, converted or, you know, <laughs> converted starters, long relievers or whatever you want to call the likes of, the Erlins, the Tomlins that they've used in those roles so far this season as well. Not that, you know, some of the young starters haven't exactly excelled in that role, um, but you have so many arms out there that are taking on all of these innings that they're spread out over the course of uh, that workload. So you cannot just look at the overall total workload. And I think everybody would say, yes, it'd be nice if the Braves outside of Max Fried and Ian Anderson could get four or five innings out of their starters. But for six of these games this season, uh, you don't necessarily need five, six innings because six of the games this season have been seven inning double headers. Um, they they clearly um, are not that overworked. I, I don't I don't see that being an issue. And one of the reasons I say that is because if they were so overworked, then don't bring in high leverage relievers in blowout situations to add to their inning totals. Yep. Um, I we have seen this. I was I was looking through it. Six times, I'm sorry, five times over the last 15 games, they brought in Darren O'Day, Chris Martin, A.J. Minter, or Shane Green in blowout situations, up six-plus runs. So if you're worried about workload for those guys, don't bring in Darren O'Day up 10-1. to (laughs) Don't bring in Chris Martin up 7-1, to or Shane Green against the Red Sox up 10-2. to If you're actually worried about workload, then... That should be the issue. But I think what the actual issue is, and I, you know, Brian Sitker said it himself the other day. Um, he likes using his best relievers when they're leading, and he doesn't want to use them when they're trailing. And I think I would take much more of an approach um, to paying far more attention to leverage because, I, you know, Chris Martin pitching 11 2 up against the Phillies, uh, Darren O'Day coming in up 10 to 1 against the Nationals. That's not a high leverage situation. Like those are the situations that you use your Patrick Weigels, your Luke Jacksons, who's not having quite as good of a season as he did last year. Uh, definitely Chad Sabaka. Bryce Wilson actually did get in a blowout situation the other day, struggled. But again, when you're in a blowout situation, you can struggle and still get rid of that inning. Um, I, I just, I think the big thing that really comes to mind here with Max Fried's injury and how close this division is now is that. You almost, I mean, you have to approach every single one of these games with urgency, and every single winnable game that you can find in a sixty-game season, you have to, you have to try and win that game. I mean, you cannot just say, "Oh, we're down one. We're gonna, we're gonna throw Patrick Weigel in his MLB debut. Um, you know, we're gonna throw Chad Sabaka out there." I mean, that's where I come in. That's where at least where I come from with the mindset of a sixty-game season. If this was mid-May in a 162-game schedule, sure. Yeah. Like, save your guys. I understand you're playing the long game there. But this is a very different season. And in many ways, it 
it exposes or at least uh, accentuates the strategies that you take into the postseason because you almost have to have a postseason mindset in a lot of these situations because if you're in the postseason and it's the ninth inning and you're down one, you're not bringing the last guy off your off off the bullpen roster. No, um, the guy that just made it. You're not bringing him in to pitch that inning. At least I would hope you are, um, because you're trying to keep that game as close as possible, especially with this juggernaut of an offense. For sure, and you know the leverage point is a great one. Essentially, you know being down one is a much higher leverage situation than being up five or up six or up nine. However you want to lay that out. Um, there's a there's a line in the sand, and it's been a little bit curious to be sure. But I've already done that rant. Uh, a couple of numbers to throw at you real quickly before we move off the bullpen. Um, Erlen, Sabatka, Wilson, Tukey, and Weigel all have ERAs of nine or higher as relievers this year. That is all, that's obviously quite bad. Um, you can't remove them, but that is the reason why the Braves aren't leading the league in ERA because uh, a lot of basically all of their big guns except for Will Smith have been incredible. Uh, AJ Minter, Darren O'Day, Chris Martin, and Shane Green all have sub-1, yes, sub-1 ERAs this year. That is obviously not sustainable, but they've been really, really good. Uh, I guess I should ask you about Will Smith real quick. Do you worry at all about Will Smith? Because, of course, he's the big investment. Uh, He's been the only guy that was supposed to be the end of the bullpen, sorry, the end of the game guy who has not been very good. Of course, he had the the delayed start. Um, I don't worry that much about Smith, but uh, he's the one guy, if you look at the sort of the stat page on this Braves bullpen that might raise some eyebrows. Yeah, I mean, obviously the damage is is the issue. I mean, that is the only thing really on his resume that you look at, uh, and he's given up too many home runs. He's given up too much damage. Everything else, he's you know, his K-to-walk ratio is about 10-to-1. Uh, I think the stuff improves every single time out. Um, and... Look, I, we just don't know. I mean, we don't know what the lingering effects are of having uh, having a setback from COVID. Um, we heard, I believe, we were talking about this the other day. I think it was Joan Moncada who said that he still feels fatigued and doesn't feel right um, after he had it. Um, I believe that's the right name there. Yeah. But, I mean, and not every guy is going to be as honest of just like, I'm not feeling 100%. I'm not feeling ready to go. Um, Will Smith certainly wanted to be back as quickly as possible. And I don't think he's looked all that bad. Um, I, I just think that he's given up too many homers. Um, and that's not a good thing, but it's also not a deal breaker of, you know, when we're talking about, you know, it, 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 there aren't the indicators there where you're like, man, the velocity, he's still three or four miles per hour under where he was in San Francisco. Or, you know, clearly, as we saw with, like, Fulte or, or even Max Fried in his last start. Like, there isn't that big drop-off in stuff that we've seen. Um, but certainly he's a guy with a wipeout slider that still needs to work off that fastball. So the more that he can get that velocity back up to where it was in San Francisco, um, I, I'm not as concerned yet. Um, I certainly would love to you know see a guy like will smith who was one of the top relievers in baseball over the past year or so um i I would like to see him get it going before the playoffs um but i think if if he's healthy and the braves don't have any you know issues with it uh in terms of his health i think snit needs to continue to throw him out there uh in medium high leverage situations uh unless unless there's a health issue that we haven't really been brought up to speed on yeah, and you know, looking ahead, obviously, as we're going to do the, probably the rest of the podcast here, uh, the bullpen is a strength. Everyone agrees on that. I think coming into the year, it was probably the strongest unit of the three, uh, and we're going to close with the offense in a second. But the bullpen, at least the guys who really matter in the bullpen, uh, knock on wood, are all healthy and pitching pretty well to quite well. So that's not a concern, especially when, especially when you assume you can remove sort of the fat from the bullpen once the once the playoffs arrive and you have to start like sort of going through leverage and using your guys more often in better situations, et cetera. So that's a and go ahead. I, I would also throw this out there. I mean, we haven't talked about it, but Jacob Webb was really good last year. Oh yeah. Uh if they if Jacob Webb is anything close to what Jacob Webb was in twenty nineteen where he had, I believe, a sub one ERA as well. So just add another guy into that mix. Um Alex said he's been looking good, closer to what he was last year. Uh, I mean, if 
I, I don't want to speak, you know, get too far ahead because we haven't even seen this guy. I haven't even seen him pitch. I don't think I saw him at all, even in spring when we were down there or even in the spring games to my recollection. But if Jacob Webb is that Jacob Webb again, just add another guy in there that sure, maybe isn't your high leverage, you know, ninth inning guy, um, but another guy that can cover yet another, you know, a close game, cover another inning. Um, so kind of if, if they just added another big right-hander to that mix, uh, even better news for your right, what has been, you know, an absolute strength for this team. Yeah, if he's your seventh or eighth reliever, you're in uh, you're in pretty good shape if he looks like the yeah. guy that he was uh, last year. Uh, I want to ask you about the offense now, and it's sort of end on a positive note here. Uh, they lost four games in a row in mid-August, and ever since then, the Braves are 13-7, and seven, even after losing three of the last four, as we're talking now. In that 20-game stretch, the Braves lead Major League Baseball in WRC Plus at 135. They also lead Major League Baseball in slugging at 530, which is an outrageous team-wide number. During that same run, uh, Marcelo Zuna has been crazy nine home runs and a 223 WRC plus. Ronald Acuna came back midway through that and has been out of his mind with five homers in the last ten games. Freddie's been Freddie in all capital letters. Like this, this offense has been basically outrageous for the last twenty games. Now it's not sustainable at this level, but I guess my question to you is, how good is this offense? Which is a very broad question, but you know there were some question marks, but some of those questions have been answered. Dansby's been pretty good this year. Uh, Adam Duvall has been pretty solid this year. There's lots of stuff to like about this offense. Austin Riley's coming along. Uh, is it a point of strength now in bold letters? I know it has been to this point in the season, but if we, as we look ahead to the playoffs, do you just trust this lineup now? Uh, playoffs, I mean, I would say yes, to, but I want to at least get to the point where uh, where I'm kind of underscoring what you're saying, where they've, they've just been stupid good. Yep. I mean, they, I mean, it has been ridiculous and I go back to my earlier point they're doing this without Ozzy Albies like right. and Ozzy was really bad at the beginning of the season but that is not Ozzy Albies like he's the Ozzie third best player on the team like let's, let's be serious for like Ozzy there's a reason why everyone lost their minds when he signed that contract and it's because he's really good at baseball super good at baseball Fangraphs put out their trade value and Ozzy and Ronald are top 10 players yes it has to do with the contract but it also has to do with the fact they are absolute young superstars, and they have been playing without Ozzy Albies, which means you are playing Johan Camargo, uh, Adani Echeverria, um, and they are not at the caliber of Ozzy. I mean, everybody knows that. It's not to say they're bad players, um, but like you have been missing a superstar. And in this, you know, very strange season, a lot of teams have missed a lot of time from a lot of superstars, but the Braves are right up there with him. And then you throw in the fact that. You know, not having Ronald uh, for a decent stretch of games. I mean, it hasn't been, you know, quite to the level of Ozzy, obviously. But when Ronald's in there, it changes a lot, too, because all of a sudden uh, you don't have to put Ender in at center field. And if you're just talking about offense, a a Ronald for Ender trade offensively uh, makes <laughs> makes this offense a lot, lot better. And that goes without saying, but... Um, when they are at full strength and assuming that the first 10 or so games that Ozzy played this year, if Ozzy can be healthy come playoff time, and then you're still getting anywhere close to this level of production from Freddie, uh, Azuna, the catchers have been out of their minds. I mean, not, and it's not just Travis Darno, it's Tyler flowers as well. Uh, last time I looked, uh, unless JT real Muto did something crazy, uh, Braves catchers lead all MLB catchers uh, collectively in OPS this year. Uh, JT Realmuto is obviously carrying things for the Phillies. Uh, I'd probably say the best catcher in baseball, but it's insane that the Braves continue to get this level of production out of a catcher platoon. They just do it every year. It's, it's unbelievable. Kurt yeah. Suzuki, like, it doesn't matter. And and then you throw on top, I think Markakis has clearly been uh, such an asset for them. Uh, since he did come back, he's slowed down since a really fast start. He's hitting right at league average now, but still another guy in there that can hit right-handed, uh, right-handed pitching. Um, they're deep. They're good. Um, when they are at full strength, I think, uh, they were tested early, um, and they were carried a little bit by the likes of like Freddie and Ozuna. But when they didn't have Ronald and Ozzy, I think they were exposed a little bit, especially at the back end of that lineup. But a guy that we haven't talked about, Austin Riley has been uh, a really big bat for them as well. So um, I think when they're at full strength, 
the offense has been the issue the past two postseasons. Wouldn't you agree? I mean that. Yeah, I mean it's it's always under discussed, but yeah, the, the bats have essentially gone silent in two straight playoffs here. And again, it's everything in the playoffs is a small sample size, but the guys that they've needed to hit have not really hit, and that that, that happens in a small sample, but it, it it just can't happen again to you, and you won't know until then. All you can kind of do is bank on what you've seen this year, which has obviously been pretty good. But yeah, you're absolutely right that the the bats have uh, I think been the under discussed issue in the in the last two playoffs. Hundred percent. I mean, everybody. We always look at Game Five NLDS against the Cardinals. Uh, I think the Dodgers quite clearly in 2018 outclassed them. They were just yes. a better, more talented uh, lineup. You know, roster overall, uh, very deep. They were to pl- able to platoon everybody, but at the same time, Atlanta's offense has been the one that, in the middle of that order, including a guy like Freddie. I think he would tell you that as well. Just has not lived up to the billing. Uh, Marquez has disappeared for the last two playoff series. Um, and they're hoping this year with Freddie, Azuna, Riley, Duvall, Arcakis, uh, Acuna, Ozzy, assuming health with Ozzy, um, they're a lot deeper than they have been in years past. I'll at least say that. Um, and with this current starting rotation, um, the reason that they are in first place currently at the moment as we speak is they've gotten great run production and they have a really good bullpen when they use it. But I, I think, I, I guess the just the shocking thing to me is that they've done it all without Ozzy. They've done it getting a hundred plus plate appearances from from Ender, who has you know hit close to if not at the very bottom of the league this year uh, among all MLB hitters. And at the same time, they're not a great situational hitting team either. You know, in in high leverage situations, they're hitting below league average as well. So if they can even up those numbers when. You know when they when they load the bases with zero outs and don't get a runner home, uh, those are like they they have room for improvement. I guess is what I'm saying, and uh, they've already been great. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Marquez says like like you said, has cooled off. In fact, he doesn't have a hit so far in September. He's 0 for 24 with two walks. Uh, small sample size, but that was I think it's like the longest stretch of his career without a hit or something close to that. It's I saw a stat about that on Twitter. Uh, I don't worry much about him. I, I I think it's interesting though that every time he has a break. He seems to come back and really mash, and then he kind of wears down a little bit. Maybe that's just age or whatever, but I'd be seriously considering giving him some time um, at the end of September to get himself recharged again because it's all a little, it's definitely a small sample size noise, but it does seem like every time he has a week off or three days off or something, he's better. So that's a guy to circle as the oldest player on the team to maybe uh, take it easy on in September. I still think his bat is really important. I know we have always poked fun a little bit at the uh, the cold of Marcakis, but he's certainly a helpful piece on this team if he's hitting, and he was hitting before September, so I don't worry about that too much looking uh, ahead. And this lineup is going to be interesting and deep, like you said, and if Ozzy comes back, uh, it looks pretty darn impressive on paper. Um, yeah, I mean, Marquez hits righties yeah, um, that's what he pretty does. well. and But you're right. I mean, a break would be, you know, nice for all guys. I mean, it's not it's not just oh, yeah. someone like Marquez, but you're right. I mean, that would be nice, and it seems like a good time to uh, utilize a guy like a Christian Pache. Um, <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it, it is a luxury of, uh, of being in a situation like the Braves are. I know that the division is definitely still in doubt, no question about it. But they can afford to be a little bit, especially if they're able to push it a little bit in the next couple of weeks. That last week or two of September, they can kind of hopefully get guys some rest in this sprint to the finish, um, at least the older guys especially. But yeah, Pache would be an interesting piece to use. I wonder when or if they're going to go to that card. Uh, They obviously haven't done it yet, and when they did, they didn't use him. Uh, and but he's on the forty man. There's no reason they wouldn't use him at this point in time. Like maybe he can be like an ultra uh, specialist if they want to use him that way in the playoffs. Like, do you have thoughts on that? I think it's kind of almost too late to just go to him full time now. We kind of talked about it a lot in the last couple of weeks. They definitely decided that wasn't going to happen. But as you get closer, he's traveling with the team. Why wouldn't you maybe tune him in and uh, at least at, at the bare minimum use him as a late inning replacement slash pinch runner type in the playoffs? Because every roster kind of needs that guy. Right. I mean, and that's where I'm not quite sure what what the thinking is with Pache. I mean, just to be, <laughs> Agreed. Just, just to be clear, I, I, I mean, I look at I look at all the the evidence and you look at the stat cast metrics, uh, both defensively, speed, whatever it may be. We still don't know where you're going to get out of Pache's bat, and that probably is for another time, probably in 2021. But I'm curious at, in their opinion, it, at full strength, 
when you have Ronald, uh, Duvall, Marcakis, uh, assuming Azuna's at DH, and Ender's on your bench, uh, how, how is your bench better with Ender than Pache? Well, they've, and, they've, and they've also gone back to starting Ender. Ender's starting again today. Uh, and I know yeah, it's... No, <laughs> yes, I, I am also aware of that. They're, they're using well. him even more again now after seemingly going away from him in a semi-permanent way. They've gone back to NCRT. And I just, I, you know, I, I've tried to, you know, parse some words there because I, I clearly know that, uh, that they, they have trusted Ender for a long time and they've wanted to get him back up to that 200-hit all-star level. And you just look at all of the metrics right now, and I just don't see it. I, I just don't see it with uh, the exit velocity being at the very bottom of the league, um, and the speed isn't there. When you look at StatCast, I know he can still steal some bags for you, but the outfield jump isn't there. I know he made a good play yesterday, but he did. Like, I just don't. I, I don't see. I don't see it happening, and. Um, we don't. We don't have to. We don't, we don't have to belabor it. I think we all kind of know the yeah. deal. It's just. It's just interesting uh, to see them kind of go back in that direction again. But maybe they'll experiment more when they get toward the playoffs, or maybe Ender heats up. I mean, there's not a real, like like you said, not, not a lot of evidence to say that's coming. Um, there wasn't like this is like an unlucky stretch where he's just hitting the ball right at guys. The numbers, uh, the underlying numbers, are not great. But yeah, Pach is a tool they could go to if they want to. And like we said before about pitching, it's not. Always, it's not all about that. I think you got to aim for upside because ultimately, yeah. you know, you're looking to try to win playoff series and make a run at the World Series. And I know that's not a World Series rotation at the moment, but this is a World Series lineup potentially and a World Series bullpen. So if you can get hot and you can start aiming for upside, get, get a few breaks, and uh, there's there's reason to like what you could put on the field if you start to see some of that um, ceiling kind of uh, pan out. I do want to ask you uh, to look ahead a little bit. The rest of the schedule is really easy. They play the Marlins, of course, right now, the Nats, the Orioles, the Mets, the Marlins again, and the Red Sox, none of which right now at this moment in time on Tuesday afternoon are over 500. Miami's uh, exactly at 500, but everybody else they play the rest of the year is a mediocre and or bad baseball team. So that's a good sign. Uh, They still have a high 90s playoff chance according to every projected system. Division stuff is more like the mid-70s, which is still likely to win the division. It's not like it's not a lock, but... I'm going to ask you to look ahead now to see how this is going to end. I think that everyone is still picking the Braves to win the division. That puts them in a battle probably with the Cubs maybe to uh, have that 2-3 seed in the in the playoffs, potentially avoid the Dodgers uh, for as long as possible, which is a good thing. But, I mean, how do you see this ending? And I'm not going to make you predict every series or anything like that, but we're getting to that point, to, that point in time now in mid-September where it's all looking ahead to the playoffs. Yeah, um, they're a playoff team. Clearly, yes, I mean, are. and they and they have been for weeks, which I think is um, has been a bit. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's weird to say, but like with the expanded playoffs, you knew you were getting in, so like that has been off the table for a while. So now you're just kind of playing for a little bit of matchups. But I, I've been with you 100. Uh, percent It's all about how can we put our best foot forward. If I'm the Braves, like how can we put our best foot forward? In the playoffs, how can we get our, you know, our our best pitchers, our nastiest pitchers, our best stuff, our best lineup possible, and how can we put that out on the field, uh, especially in a three-game series? Um, and that's where I think the frustration has come down to when you look at what's going on with the alternate site because they do have so many potential options, um, and they keep going back to the well with some veteran guys that don't inspire a lot of confidence um, and then underperforming veterans like an Ender and Ciarte. When you have top prospects, whether it's Christian Pache, whether it's some of the top starters that yes, they did not perform, you know, extremely well uh, over the course of this season, but it's been such a short, such a small sample size of season. Um, I, I do wonder if they're going to get to the point where they regret not giving a longer leash to some of these guys, because when it comes postseason time, Right now, they could use them. Now, I, I do think that there's still a really good chance that they snap the the first time since 2001 playoff series. And I say that knowing that in a three-game playoff series, anything can happen. Uh, even if they match up against a better team, you know, you win one wild game and you're just, you know, you're nine innings away. Uh, yep. So um, I think there's still a very good chance of that. Um, I 
I want to say that, you know, I'm, I'm just really skeptical of a deep run just because of right now you look at the starting pitching. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it, not, it's, it's not great. Right. And it's tough. And I'm not saying they can't like their offense could go crazy. Max Reed could come back and, uh, you know, you know, deal in the postseason. you know, you're getting like one guaranteed win when he is like pitching like a Cy Young contender. Um, but I, I think a deep run is tough. I just, I just do. I, and I think it has been tough the moment Mike Soroka went down. I mean, they had one of the best young one-two punches in baseball in the starting rotation. And then since Soroka went down, you see kind of where they are at. Um, but they can win a playoff series. I mean, there's, there's no question about that. Whether they match up against a better team or they match up, you know, they, they hold on to the vision and match up against the worst team, um, they, can, they can win their first playoff series in a long time, which I think is a, it, it should be the goal at this point, and then just see how far you can go from there. But everything should be aimed at, um, yeah, seeing, you know, lining up your rotation for that one, two, three start, uh, making sure your lineup's as healthy and fresh as possible. And uh, yeah, and your bullpen guys are ready to go. Yeah, they at this point, it will be a surprise to me if they are not favored to win that first round best of three series. Like you said, anything can happen there. Um, I try to get outside of the Braves echo chamber sometimes and read some national folks and listen to some national folks about it. And everyone kind of feels the same way that we do. Like, this is a good baseball team. Everyone knows that. It's going to be hard for anyone to pick the Braves to make that kind of deep run like you're mentioning with this rotation, how it is. Maybe Cole Hamels looks like Cole Hamels, and that helps things. Maybe you understand, um, I guess it's further established. There are ways for it to work out. Once you get beyond the first round, you start getting into a longer series, you might, and you can start seeing Freed more than once. That's very helpful as well. But uh, it's kind of it's a very obvious thing to say out loud that it's hard to pick a, a team like that without without the rotation clarity. But it's just worth saying every once in a while when you get um, into this Braves mindset where, yeah, they're playing great, and this is a really talented team, and they're really good. In fact, you can convince me that they're the second-best team in the National League still right now today, even with the pitching how it is. Um, they are they are third right now in the NL in run differential, only behind the, the Dodgers and Padres. Not a single other NL East team is in the positive yeah, I mean, run this differential is, this year. They I mean, are, the Braves are plus 40. They are definitely the best team, team in the negative. Yeah. The Mets are break-even. So, like, they are clear, they have been, at least, the clear-cut head-and-shoulders class of the NL East. And at, at this moment in time, uh, they, they are very clearly favored. Uh, I know they're just two games up on Philly, but, you know, Philly is, uh, they've played four fewer games, so... You know, it's all. It's also still. We'll I mean, see how that pans out. I know the projection systems are not popular with some fans, but there's a reason why the Braves are essentially three to one favorites to win the NLE still, and it's because they're just a better baseball team on paper than the Phillies at this moment in time. Uh, they obviously could blow it. I'm not saying they couldn't. If or Philly could get hot or whatever, however you want to say that, it's not over by any means. But uh, the Braves are a favorite significantly to win the division, and if they do that. That means uh, either the two or the three seed. And I know there's not a huge benefit to that this year, especially, by the way, if baseball likes to do the bubble system, which we've not talked about a whole lot on this podcast. I, but, was, I was just about to ask you that. Do you think that matters at all? Uh, not really. I mean, I know the Braves, I, the Braves have a good home record this year. I don't think that really is indicative of much. I guess it would be nice to play in your home ballpark if you could, especially because that first, um, that first round this year is all at home if you win the division. Um, that's a, that's a nice thing to just be in your own backyard for that entire you know half a week, but I don't know is it going to change my opinion or change a pick that I'm going to make? Probably not. Um, it just I think it probably hurts the Braves in the first round and helps them beyond that. <laughs> I don't know. I'm guessing. Yeah, we're all guessing. Yeah, 14 and seven at truest. Um, also, the Braves are the only team in this division with a winning record against uh, teams over 500, which is also a nice thing as well. So, hopefully, I mean, hopefully, it, hopefully they, can, they can beat the bad teams now since that's all they play the rest of the way is bad yeah, teams. There's also that. No, but you can go down the – and they've been, you know, to, to Brian Sinker or whoever's credit, uh, they have beat up on the bad teams in the last two division title runs. Like they yep. do not – they do not stumble against bad teams. At least they haven't up to this point uh, since 2018. They have been dominating bad teams. So to answer your earlier question there, uh, that does inspire a little bit more optimism as well. So, I, look, they're going to be in the playoffs. They're going to be in a three-game series, whether it's in a bubble, whether it's at Truist Park, whether it's somewhere <laughs> else. Um, they can win a playoff series this year. Um, and I think I, – I don't think I would have said that in 2018. They should have won a playoff series in 2019 because they were better than the Cardinals. Yes, they were. Um, 
But here we are, uh, just, uh, I think, 19 games remaining. And now Max Fried is out, but this is still a really good roster. Uh, and if they get Ozzie Albies back, if Cole Hamels is anything close to what they were hoping when they spent, I think, $18 million on him, um, they, they, have the, they have the pieces in place to still be good enough to make some postseason noise. For sure. I think we've done enough to inspire confidence and also provide some of that level-headedness that uh, we are known for on this podcast. Uh, Zach, anything to plug? I know you guys are very busy over at Fox Sports South, giving people all of the content. You tweet so often from, from your personal account, and I just can't keep up with you. <laughs> uh, but anything you got going that you want to get out there? No, I would just say keep up with uh, keep up with all the games that aren't being taken by uh, YouTube? national outlets. You, you, YouTube, on, YouTube on, on, on Labor Day. I'm sure your bosses, and you shouldn't answer this, but I'm sure your bosses were overjoyed by YouTube on, on Labor Day afternoon. That was not ideal. We've just seen so much of this, and this is just more of a TV broadcasting thing overall, but like, there's so little inventory now with 60-game seasons yep. um, that national outlets are just coming in left and right, uh, putting whatever inventory they can on their, on their station. So um, as much as you can, uh, we'll, be, we'll have you covered for every Braves game this season. Uh, head over to at Fox Sports Braves. We'd like to think we have a, a pretty good thing going over there. We, we provide some good coverage of the team. So feel free to follow along if anybody isn't. I'm, I'm probably just preaching to the choir there. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll see what we do the rest of this 19 games, and then we'll have coverage throughout the, play, the postseason, however long that is. Hopefully it's a pretty long run. Yeah, check out all of Zach's stuff. Occasionally he tweets on his personal account that I will tag when I put up this podcast, and uh, it's usually a zinger. If he's, but if he's tweeting something, it's probably good because he, really, he doesn't really tweet very often. But thank you for joining me as always, my friend. We will do this again. Uh, in the relatively near future. I try not to bug you too much to come on the show because I know you have your hands full, but I always appreciate you coming on. Appreciate it, man. See you soon. As for everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast, and we'll see you next time. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.